I have come here to Krakowie, and I'm all out of bubble. Really licked his ass. Are you watching closely? Hello and welcome to Season 2 of Midnight Showing. I'm Nash, that's Luke, and this week, the movie we watched at midnight was Brett Leonard's Virtuosity. Was it worth it? That's what we're here to tell you, and don't worry, we will notify you before we start spoiling. Luke. Set in the close future of 1999, Denzel Washington plays the role of Parker Barnes, a former detective who is serving out a 17-year sentence in prison, possibly to life. Barnes, of course, is one of the best police officers the city has ever seen, forcing the department to call upon him whenever they are in dire need for his services. Being set a few years in the future, Barnes is tasked with entering a virtual reality in which a virtual serial killer played by Russell Crowe is wreaking havoc within the program. In the first confrontation we see between Barnes and Sid, or Russell Crowe, Barnes' partner is killed within the virtual reality, causing him to die in real life. With a dead convict on their hands, the creators of the program are forced to shut down the virtual reality they have spent countless hours pouring their life into. Having spent so much time creating Sid in his reality, the creator of the program takes the insane route of actually putting Sid into the real world through the use of nanotechnology. Being the only person who has ever successfully tracked down Sid in VR, the police are forced to call upon Barnes to track down Sid in the real world. And the trailer for this movie, it's a classic action movie trailer, except with that unfamiliar narrator voice where it's like, in a world, they got some new guy to do it. So that's a little bit different. But all (laughs) in all, the trailer does a pretty good job of setting up the plot without revealing too much. Um, Nothing too special about this trailer, but I think that's a plus just because everything about it fits well, meaning it isn't noticeably bad or off-putting. It tells you what you need to know, and if you like it, you'd go see it. So the trailer does a good job. Uh, This movie was written by Eric Brent. Um, He's only written a handful of scripts that have graced the silver screen from what I saw, including the legendary Avengers Endgame. Wait, no, I mean Highlander (laughs) Endgame. Um, And Denzel Washington also had some issues with the script, and apparently he had a pretty big influence on what actually went into the movie. But Nash and I will discuss that when we really get into the grid of the movie. Yeah, that really is does become a pretty big important thing with the movie but the director brett leonard probably is not a familiar name with a lot of people especially us we didn't know who he was before we saw this movie but looking him up we found that historically for filmmaking he is pretty important um to the movie world he's most well known for the movie lawnmower man which had similar concepts of vr it was an independent movie that grossed like 150 million dollars um, he's also known for T-Rex back to the Cretaceous period, which <laughs> became what was widely known as like the first widely popular 3D movie. It sort of put 3D on the forefront. And I think it's probably the, the catalyst that started the whole like 3D epidemic in movies. Um, it grossed over 100 million worldwide. And he's also known for the movie we're doing today, Virtuosity. And it's considered one of if not the first ever movie to use nanotechnology um, as a device. So 
Yeah. <laughs> and starring in this movie, as I've already mentioned, we have Denzel Washington playing Parker Barnes, hopefully making his rebound from For Queen and Country. Then we also got Russell Crowe, who I already mentioned, playing Sid 6.7, the virtual serial killer. But we got some other people in the movie, too. We have Kelly Lynch playing Madison Carter, another FBI agent. We have Steven Spinelli, uh, Spinella playing Lyndon Meyer, the man who created the program, who is... Very odd character. Uh, I yeah. want to talk about him a little bit. <laughs> and we got Will, William William Forthice, the whip playing William Croach. Co- Cochran. Co- <laughs> I think I think it's kind of goofy that they had the actor named William play the character named William. Just probably kept things easier for the guy. <laughs> and then finally, we got the poor man's Kevin Bacon, William Finchner playing Wallace. I'm sure if William Fitcher ever listens to this podcast, he's not going to like that joke. But he's not going to like it. I don't like it. I, lo- I love William Fitchner. <laughs> I love Kevin Bacon. <laughs> Two worlds collide. So the theme for this movie, we did have a bit of a struggle trying to come up with it because it's an action an action movie and action movies are typically centered around this redemption or revenge plot line um and that's kind of what we were feeling but taking a look back at the movie as a whole we came up with it's really about technology becoming a living thing or becoming more human Uh, The setting in the near future points to the threat of what is happening in the movie is tangible within the viewer's lifetime. And that was kind of the biggest reason for us to make that the theme. And now with all that established, we've got to give it the uh, infamous thumbs up or down rating. So, Luke, thumbs up or down? It's going to be a thumbs up. And it's not because it's a good movie. (laughs) (laughs) because i didn't not like it does that make sense (laughs) no i i think it does for this one i'm gonna give it a thumbs up too we're gonna get into it a little bit more um we just don't want to spoil it for anybody so without further ado all right so let's get into the Welcome back, dude. Welcome back. (laughs) Season two, guys. Season two, dude. So you know, you know what the first thing this movie taught me was? What? If you take the villains of history, you know, I'm talking your Jeffrey Dahmers <laughs> or John Wayne Gacy's, Hitler, Stalin, yeah, we're we're going that far. If you if you put them all together, you know, you know those apps that's like if you take a girl's face and your face and this is what your kids would look like. Well, if you took yeah. all the serial killers and they had a child, it would look like <laughs> Russell Crowe apparently. <laughs> Russell Crowe's fighting around the world. <laughs> <laughs> for good reason, as apparently he has every serial killer within his face. And I'm sorry for that, Russell Crowe. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, I think that's pretty funny. I, I do think we should mention, though, how we found this movie. We were trying to watch a totally different movie, uh, which we may do in the future. We'll have to figure out where to find it because it, apparently it's incredibly hard to stream it in the U.S. Yeah, have um, to get Express VPN or something. And so this one, I uh, I am searching for this movie. I found Virtuosity. I was like, read the description for it. I was like, We're, we should probably watch this one. This one sounds absolutely crazy. He's got Denzel Washington and Russell Crowe, and maybe Denzel can redeem himself a little bit from uh, for Queen and Country. And that, so- was, that, was, that was the only Denzel movie we did for season one. So I, I feel like we kind of did uh, did Denzel dirty on that one, bro. We chose one of his worst movies to review. I, I agree. <laughs> and it, it really felt good to do this one because I think at the end, you know, we like this movie, right? We like this movie. We enjoyed it. It was entertaining. 
But that's some things. And we'll get into that uh, first. We're going to go over sort of the theme. So I think probably the biggest point is defining that future setting because the movie was, was released in 1995, set four years later in 1999. Um, so, Luke, I know when we first started watching it, one of the first things you mentioned was sort of the aesthetics of it. And I think you made a very good point uh, just culturally about movies set in this time period when they talk about the future. If you want to talk about that a little bit. Well, dude, to me, it feels like every movie that was made in the 90s that was trying to make it like futuristic and weird just thought technology was going to get bigger. Everything has to be huge. Like the virtual yeah. reality thing, they're like running and like up, up in the thing and stuff. And like the screen itself is huge. And I don't know, dude, it's like it's like technology got, took such a jump at the beginning of the 90s that people in movies had no idea where it was going to go and they just had such high hopes but it's funny and it feels super dated because the technology obviously grew way past having like those little 8-bit computers and stuff dude so like you know our huge part with like 12 monkeys was that we thought it was a really aesthetically cool movie because it was trippy and had the technology from the future and everything and now as we keep watching these movies that are like to future movies i just think it's really funny that like it feels like they had no idea what the future was going to be like they were just like yo computers are sick <laughs> yeah no and that's such a good point too because it really conflicts with sort of uh the visual we got in the two sort of major types of technology in this movie like at this time period 1995 it was when uh the virtual boy for nintendo was released which i think is like the first vr home console so something you can play at your house you didn't have to go to arcade you didn't have to find one in your area you know to go play it and so what's crazy about that is still in this time period though the the early and mid 90s technology all around them was getting smaller like that's what really boggles my mind with that aesthetic thing it's just like why is the vr thing the size of a building and then a few scenes later, we get nanobots. Mm, yo, I didn't even <laughs> think about that. That's a good point. <laughs> it's like clearly they understand that it's getting smaller because you've got nanotechnology, yet this VR system is the size of a building. And contemporarily, the, the you know, the virtual boy was like the size of a large pair of binoculars. <laughs> I, I just think that's like really funny and kind of weird and that is definitely something that we see in a lot of movies in the time period is how technology always has to be this sort of massive thing when everybody knows it was getting smaller it's like you have to know that it's technology because it's big it feels so grand doesn't it it's 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 a very grand virtual reality program playing very very distracting games of chess dude <laughs> that was, there, there, there. <laughs> i don't know how you could ever win a game playing that kind of chess bro that is the most mind-boggling game of chess you'd ever play in your life um but yeah getting on to that because it is pretty important to note that this is like the first use that we could find um, of nanotechnology in a movie, um, which sort of creates sort of plot devices for, I mean, I would say hundreds of movies later. You know, how often is nanotechnology brought up? It's probably even brought up in a Marvel movie a few times. It definitely has. Yeah. So that's just a crazy thing that I think is important. Well- like, what? I don't know, nano, nanotechnology is like 
I feel like it's um it's 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 like a cop out for for like a bad guy, right? Like that's 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 what it is in this movie because like whenever he gets shot, he's like not even a real person. But like whenever you see nanotechnology, it's always like like the the thing that gets this person to the next level. It's always just like really crazy kind of ambiguous thing. That's just these like tiny little microchips that can like redo stuff. Like I think I think like Terminator Terminator does that right with like the, mm-hmm. the nanobots do like that technology and stuff. It's like yeah, it's it's. It's a very specific type of like story plot idea for like your sci-fi movie. And I feel like it really is done in very similar ways throughout everything. Like even that Vin Diesel movie came out a a little bit ago. It had some ridiculous name. I think it was like Bloodshot or or something like that. And like whenever he would get shot or something like nanotech would like heal his body up and stuff. Yeah. And that's to me, it's a crazy thing because it's something that, it's in so many movies, and in the first movie it's in, it they don't even go into that much explanation about it. You know, it's sort of something that it has almost the same guidelines and everything. It works off the same sort of principles. These robots get the things to repair. They repair it. They fix it. They can fix themselves. They're so tiny. They're fine. They're, you know, they're good. They're just going to fix everything and making it difficult. And it's not really that well defined and it's used in everything. It's just sort of a concept you have to accept. And I feel like if people can accept that concept without a lot of explanation, there are definitely other concepts that you don't need to go into such long winded exposition dialogue sequences to talk about. It just seems sort of wasteful. If they can understand nanotechnology as much as they need to, they can understand, you know, other stuff. That isn't as complicated. And this this movie is the perfect example of making you just listen to what they're saying because not a lot is explained in virtuosity, in my opinion. How do you feel about that? Yeah, a, a lot of it is sort of confusing. And to bring it back to the aesthetic thing, one of the big things I noticed was sort of the architecture of it. Yeah, well, dude, it's 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 not even specifically the nanotech, but the story overall and how the nanotech like plays into that. You feel me? Yeah, it's not. Yeah, it's not like that. You'd think for such a crazy concept, it'd be more important than it was. It's like he's still it's like the they're still focusing like so much on the VR aspect. When it really should have been more about the nanotech stuff, you know, that's that seems like the newer idea, the much cooler idea. Yeah. Anyway, about I'm sorry, I didn't didn't mean to cut you off. What were you saying about, about the architect? Oh no, you're you're fine about you were fine about that. That was a good point to talk about. Uh, the architecture, it's like that was probably the biggest instance that I first noticed where it was picking and choosing what's futuristic. Oh yeah, exactly, totally. Because you know we get we're introduced to the VR and the nanotech, and it seems like we're in this very futuristic or more futuristic than you would assume for four years sort of lifestyle because. You see the VR facility in the prison and their design is unfamiliar to people of the time. You know, it looks futuristic. It looks totally different than how we expect. Like that prison was just sort of a wall of doors that you couldn't see through with like some sort of plexiglass in between. You know, it didn't look it wasn't bars. It wasn't like how you classically imagine a concrete and steel prison. 
It was something that was totally different. And we've got his sort of fake limb, too. Thunderdomes are also allowed in that prison, I'd like to add. They're, they're very loose on the laws of that prison, dude. You just call somebody out and it's it's on, bro. Yeah, and unlimited amounts of confetti for every cell block. Yeah. <laughs> Government funding for nanotech or for confetti in the prisons? We need both, damn it. And so that was a big thing, too. And as you watch the movie, it's sort of like those first two instances are really like the only ones you get where the architecture feels futuristic or it feels like unfamiliar when if that's establishing because that is that's the beginning of the movie. So that's the most establishing thing you can have. And so if that's not sort of consistently saw throughout, um, it really sort of confused us because I know when we were watching it. The things you brought up were were like the cars. Yeah, bro, they're driving like Dodge caravans. <laughs> yeah, they, yeah, they're, they're they're driving cars. They're driving you know normal cars. It's like a it's like a ninety the nineties like Yukon or whatever. Yeah, but if we see the prison, we see the VR facility, we see how crazy and different they are. You kind of expect the vehicles to be a little bit different too, right? If like yeah. the future is advanced so much to have nanobots. Yeah, right. Like you can kind of compare it to like Demolition Man because, you know, like he when he goes in the cryo chamber for Demolition Man, when he wakes up, the world is completely different. Now, granted, we're only like four or five years in the future from when this movie came out. So maybe it was kind of the idea that this was the birth of this technology and it was going to expand from there. But the that idea isn't made super clearly. So to me, it just made it feel confusing overall because like the guns, are, like you said, the guns are regular. The cars are regular. Like it seems like the world hasn't changed too much. Just a few very specific scenes have the super futuristic like tech to it, you know? Yeah, and I remember that just that moment in particular when we're talking about the car because you said, like, is this movie in the future? And I was like, no, yes, wait, yeah, no, it is. It is. It was very unsure just because those establishing thought, uh, shots present such a heavy futuristic feel. And then for almost the entire rest of the movie, you're put back into sort of normal times. And that was another thing that sort of confuses, too, was like the cultural aspect, too, that we see, um, which are all pretty unique scenes. I think um, probably the two ones that really stood out was like the rave in the arena. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> the arena scene was funny. We can we can get into that. The rave definitely too. But even even the the opening part of this movie is really weird in itself. Even though that's like that's like the virtual reality plane, but yeah. like how all all the people are doubled up, all wearing suits and ties, and it. I just I felt like the virtual reality section portion of it could have been explained better as to like what it actually was and what the future of it was for society. Because my main question with this movie is like, why did they need to catch Russell Crowe in the virtual reality? Was it like a test for like cops? Like if you can catch this guy, you can catch any serial killer. Well, then why do they have Denzel Washington doing it? Who's supposed to be in prison? Like I felt like the aesthetic of the virtual reality world wasn't explained very well. It was just kind of weird. And then once they're out of virtual reality, it just felt like the motivations for everybody involved were like 
just kind of questionable. Like I, I didn't really fully understand the implications of what was going on. And then now all of a sudden we have this virtual serial killer running loose in the streets. You know what I mean? Yeah, they mentioned it like in one line of dialogue, we're testing on prisoners to work out the kinks. And it's like if the use of it is for cops to be able to catch, you know, criminals, shouldn't it be as realistic as possible? Like, why are the why are the uniforms? Why do they have such a crazy few? They look like um, from Demolition Man. I think yeah. you even said yeah, that yeah. while we were watching it. They look mm-hmm. like uniforms that would be in Demolition Man. It's like, why yeah. are we set with such super futuristic uniforms in a VR when if you think about it, it doesn't make sense. Like none of the cops look like that. And the rest of the. Yeah. Shots. And well, dude, like, like you said too, we found this movie literally looking for another movie. So like um, for season two, you and I discussed that we wanted to like really go into every movie, having almost no idea about it. And for this one, yeah. we 100% had no idea. You were literally just like Denzel Washington, Russell Crowe sounds crazy. Let's watch it. And in those first five minutes, I'm like, what are we watching right now? Is this like a weird Terry Gilliam type movie? That's going to be really aesthetic. And then it pulls you out of it mad quick. So for 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 me, like going into it with having no prior knowledge that it was going to be about virtual reality or nanotech or any of that stuff, it just really caught me off guard. And I thought it was going to keep up that pace of being really weird. But then you're in the real world like 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 that, like snap of a finger. And now it's just confetti prisons and just, and, and, and could dodge caravans and Yukons and stuff. Yeah, you know? I think that's a good point, too, because in 12 Monkeys, it's like the futuristic aesthetics that we get are only present in the future. And it's like, okay, if you have that point, you compare it with this one. It's like, okay, the VR stuff and the nanobot stuff, that's only present in like the facility. But that doesn't really make sense because it's the same time period. The the big thing about 12 Monkeys is we're literally going back and forth through time. So it makes sense for the aesthetics to be totally different, for the cultures to be totally different. If we're in the same time period, why is anything that different? You know, there should be a baseline of consistency for it. And it's it's not the I think I think the main point to this, too, is that it's not just the world being that inconsistent, but it's the script on top of that. Oh, not yeah, giving definitely. very clear like indications of where the motivations are. So on top of having these questionable motivations from all these characters, we also have a world that isn't very well defined and just kind of feels all over the place. So like, yeah, um, I think uh, no, no, I you, think you know, you go, you go. I think that's a good point, too, and we can sort of move off the theme a little bit and sort of go with that, because that was something I definitely felt, and I know we mentioned it while we were watching, is sort of that confusing power structure between all those characters that were, quote unquote, in charge. Like, we were like, okay, so who's this guy? Like, all right, he's the police chief, right? Okay, definitely. <laughs> he okay, looks like uh, every police chief ever, so <laughs> context clues. <laughs> exactly. It's like, okay, so we got him. He's the police chief. It seems like he hates Denzel sometimes, and then sometimes he loves him. Mm-hmm. He wants to put him in prison, but he's willing to do illegal stuff to keep him out. Okay, uh, that's confusing. And then you've got that power dynamic between um, – like who's in charge of the government was the the actress i'm blanking yeah, on her like, name dude, the, the secretary of state is like involved in like yeah. this, this like police like stuff like it's 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 a mess straight up that's that's the most clear way i can put it is the movie 
um story wise like world wise definitely feels all over the place and like a mess and like they didn't really know what the overall feel for the movie was yeah and it's really evident with those characters because it's like all right, who has authority here? Like, who is in charge? Is the government in charge? Is the police chief in charge? Is the company in charge? I, I really don't know now after having watched the whole thing. And uh, it's very weird, especially for an action movie, that has the classic setup of we've got the one villain that only one guy can take down. Mm-hmm. And, and he has had a troubled past and we have to give him this one opportunity for redemption. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's just like that seems very simple, very straightforward. That's all I need. I don't need exposition about what's going on between this weird power dynamic between these three people. It doesn't really seem too relevant or yeah. the lady that's the writer, like what Dr. Carter, what is she? What? Yeah, she's just, kind of, just, just kind of there. Yeah. For sure. You know, we went on a heavy tangent, but you wanted to talk specifically about the clothing and stuff in those Raven arena scenes. You want to kind of circle back to that? Because I think that was a pretty interesting point, playing more into the aesthetics of the movie that we're confused about. Yeah, because we're set, we're certainly set up. We're like when we first see Sid, um, he's got like that bright green, the mask suit. Mm-hmm. Um, and like so when we he goes out into the real world, and he's like going to that rave. He's looking for like another very flashy suit and he finds one. That was pretty funny. But looking at all those people, it's like half of them were dressed like from the 80s. And it's like, why why weren't they all dressed sort of like in a more futuristic way? Like, mm-hmm. why, why are they dressed like they're going out, you know, to disco? But then <laughs> the, the piano and the guitar and everything was like yeah. these weird little gadgets to let you play whatever song you want to play. But at the same time, it's like still 1990, dude. So I'm and the, the like the um the bartender, dude. I totally forgot until the, about the bartender until right now. The bartender oh, is yeah. like um he's like um. He's a robot. Like an, yeah, he he's a robot. He's a little robot. And Russell Crowe is like, well, you are my past robot. And it's like, that's a very specific thing to be futuristic is that we have a robot bartenders now. That's going to destroy the job market, by the way. And, <laughs> but but again, like I feel like we're harping on this point, but it's it, I think that's the core reason as to why this movie is kind of all over the place is because we have weird stuff like this that's very futuristic and then stuff that just really makes you question all that. Yeah, definitely. And another thing um, that I sort of want to bring up, just because, again, classic action movie, so you don't need a lot of really depth as to what's going on, is that plot line with his family. It's like, so that's the base redemption plot line, right? Okay. Yeah, all, all, all that Jack Bauer 24 flashbacks. <laughs> yeah, yeah, where he gets his arm chopped off or blown up and he gets a robot one. And it's like... Did he really redeem himself? Like, genuinely, think about it. Did he actually redeem himself? It seems like he did almost the exact same thing, except he just let somebody else's daughter get kidnapped, which was wasn't that the whole point when they're explaining his backstory? It's like, yeah, he thought that messing with his family would would interfere with him. And it did it. <laughs> it's like, what? What? This guy sounds like an ass. <laughs> yeah, right, dude. And then, I mean, if we, if we really, really want to pick it apart right now, it is a pretty dumb move on the cops to not 
put like a, a a 24 hour watch on the house of the woman who he can totally kidnap and redo the Matthew Grimes stuff. Cause that's again, one of the huge parts about it is that's why Denzel has this motivation to attack Russell Crowe because Sid has part of Matthew Grimes within him and it comes to the top and everything. So like, I feel like when all this information was learned, they should have taken proper precautions and not allowed that little girl to get in that terrible situation anyway, bro. You know? Yeah, exactly. Like that's clearly relevant information and it's just sort of, swept to the side another thing that because it becomes overall important because this is based off like the redemption thing for an action movie and it's like they need him because he's the only guy that can track down Sid right he's the only guy that knows him and in the beginning of the movie we see like like when when Dr. Carter asks him how he found Sid in the sushi restaurant the Japanese restaurant he says because he left like an emoticon on the building. Mm-hmm. So it's like that's how people sign their emails, the happy face. <laughs> and it's like, okay, so that seems like a relevant piece of information. We see that he's, you know, analyzing stuff. But then do we ever we never like see that again? Yeah, wow, we, yo, I didn't even think about that. Like huh. we we see that we see him, we see Russell Crowe like take part of the glass away on the window and he follows him using that, but couldn't anybody that knew that do it? That's not like specific information for Denzel's character. Yeah, right, dude. I, I don't know. I feel like the police department should really step its game up on who they're recruiting. If yeah. the only guy they can do it is the guy who in pressure situations will just shot a news reporter and the cameraman. I will say in defense of Denzel Washington, though, that was totally their fault, bro. He clearly was just shooting a lot yeah, of people and the first thing they do is stand up with a microphone ready for an interview. It's like, yo, yeah, give right? the man some space. He just had his arm blown off. <laughs> he seems in the moment right now yeah (laughs) and and so that's just a very like those points are just sort of like they push it this way and then it's totally irrelevant and that is just very like with the police chief thing loving and hating denzel's character like that it's it's very conflicting it's the motivation behind it is very weird and that just sort of happens throughout yeah, no, this movie has no consistency at all. There's there's not an ounce of consistency throughout this entire movie. And with that being said, it's still relatively fun to watch at the end of the day. And one of my favorite yeah. scenes to point that out is the arena scene. Because oh, yeah. I don't oh, know what the MMA in the future is going to be. But apparently <laughs> people in the crowd just beat the shit out of each other. And yeah, everyone's was, cool with it. <laughs> that, was, that was the craziest thing. It's like you had the arena that had like five or six people fighting at once in it and then you've got a fenced in area outside of the arena where everybody's just like fighting each other and then you've got like the audience who are also fighting each other yeah dude and like punching each other like all that stuff it was it was very interesting very wacky very all over the place and that's why uh, this is a this is a little bit of a torn between two review because this is another one of those movies where I'm like, yo, that was not very good. But at the same time, it was 
kind of good, but not really. But yes, but <laughs> no. It should have ended 20 minutes earlier for sure. You know what would have made, yeah. you know made it really bad? Was if there was a romance plot between Denzel and the um, FBI woman. Would you like to go into all that stuff with Denzel affecting the script and everything? Because I think that definitely gives it some points up for not being like super classic Hollywood. Yeah, no, that, that that's another good point um, to mention, just because I don't know how accurate it is because I found it on Wikipedia. It's the only place I found it. But I thought it should definitely be mentioned because we bring up like the terrible forced Hollywood romance plots all the time. And supposedly Denzel Washington had a heavy hand in preventing any sort of romance plot with him and Dr. Carter happening, which thank God that that is the case because I could not, I could not have handled, we would have probably hated this movie if it had another plot device that was just totally unnecessary. And I'm so glad they didn't have it in there. They totally could have too, but I mean, I feel like the way they wrote her character might've really been influenced by that idea. If it is true, because when you take a look back, like the whole time we were watching it, you and I were kind of like, um, like, why is she a part of this in a certain way? Because at the end of the day, it felt like she wasn't doing too much. And that was kind of the point of her character was kind of just to watch Denzel Washington be the crazy guy who's going to run run off in the mall because he saw something on like the television and stuff. Yeah, But like in terms of like being a character in the story, she really didn't have that much weight to her other than like she's the one with the daughter who gets kidnapped at the end. You know what I mean? Like there wasn't any real like structure behind her character. Like I don't don't really know who she was other than just being the uh, cop. You know what I mean? Like the the FBI agent. I would say she had because there's only like one scene when they're at the apartment where she actually had more pertinent information about Sid than Denzel Washington ever had because she actually sort of researched him. And that made a lot more sense. It's like for all the inconsistencies in the movie, the three main characters in it, Dr. Carter, Russell Crowe and Denzel Washington, they have the most consistency. That's why not having the love plot makes so much sense with Denzel's character, because, you know, he doesn't he doesn't care. He we already know he didn't care about his family that much before they got kidnapped and died. <laughs> <laughs> At least that's what they say. You that know? is what they said. That is literally what he said. Literally what he said was like, yeah, uh, Grimes knew that if he went after his family, then he'd get off the case. It didn't affect him at all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, like, so clearly he's a hardened guy. And so for him to like fall in love, it'd just be another inconsistency and more convoluted. And so very happy that didn't, you know, the character of Sid sort of remained the same the whole time. But one more big plot hole I want to mention. Okay. Uh, give, give us the last plot hole. Then let's go into some stuff that we actually liked about the movie, just so that we can actually reinforce our thumbs up. Because I love ripping into movies after we say we like it. I think it's really yeah, funny. I know. <laughs> it's, I know. People, people listening are just like, what? <laughs> anyway. <laughs> you said you liked it. <laughs> the, main, the, the biggest plot hole, okay, was that the whole movie is based on they're going to get rid of Sid. They're going to delete Sid from uh the hard drive crystal thing the floppy disk crystal cube um 
and the guy uploads him into the nanobot person. Why? What is the point of uploading him if he already had Sid on his computer at home? Mm, that's a good point. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not, I'm not <laughs> sure how much he had him at home. That's what I was like because they find his computer at home and it goes in through everything about Sid and has all the versions of Sid up until yeah, he was also a really weird character, dude. Like his yeah. motivations were not defined at all. He hated police officers for whatever reason, and like even um, a, a line I really did like about the movie was when Russell Crowe was like, um, uh, "Your you, uh, your God and my God. Your God has balls. My God doesn't have balls." Talking about the guy who created Sid. Um, so it was just it was a very weird dynamic between the creator and what Sid actually was, because like in the beginning, they put off the creator, the programmer guy um, as being like, yeah, like he has no balls. He's just, he's, he's controlled by a virtual um, augmented reality type person. But then when he finally gets him into the real world, it's like, oh, no, he really always wanted to put Sid into the real world so that he could like murder people. But at the same time, he did it. Because like, okay, bro, now I'm just thinking about it even more. In in the distracting game of chess scene, he gets mad at Sid because Sid cucks him right in front of him. <laughs> and then he's like, well, maybe you'll enjoy the real world, Sid, like trying to get back at him. But then the next time we see him, he's like wicked happy that Sid is like in the world. So like, as we're talking about it now, I don't even understand that character really. Yeah, it's like um, Reanimator. Uh, who is the doctor? What was his name? Herbert West. Herbert West. It's like his motivations is clear because, you know, he wants to prove that what he knows is accurate and he's not he doesn't care about the ramifications of it, you know, of it actually being, you know, used. He just wants to prove that he can reanimate people. Uh And in this movie, it's like, why does he why does he care about Sid? Because does he want to murder people? Cause, like you know it doesn't make sense why like, he likes Sid so much it's like okay but why Sid why why couldn't he just spend his off time making somebody cooler you know yeah, like, some, someone why, who isn't every serial killer ever yeah, yeah why does he have to be it's like he's not cool with him murdering people but he loves the mass murderer and wants him to be able to murder people it it doesn't make sense. It's, it's, so, it's, yeah, it's all over the place. The action's so, cool, though. <laughs> good thing about this movie. Yeah, great action. Honestly, yeah. I, I, those action scenes are crazy. Yeah, the, the chase between Russell Crowe and Denzel are, are actually pretty interesting. When Denzel just lights him up like three, like two or three times, he's just like taking bullets and it does nothing to him. And like, um, I mean, the, the last fight scene on, t- on top of the building was like pretty cool and everything. So like this movie is definitely like put on when you're getting drunk with your friends and you got nothing else to do and you're like, yo, you want to watch this crazy Denzel movie that's just going to kind of make you laugh a little bit, you know? So I think I think that probably plays into everything we're talking about here. We're like, this wasn't a movie that blew us away. And when we were 45 minutes into it, I was like, Nash, I have no idea what's going on right now. <laughs> like, yeah, I, we- I totally understood that. Cause I was like, wait, do I know what's going? Cause it's like, yeah, half these people, I know what they're doing. The other half, I have no idea. <laughs> 
Yeah, like every, I, 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 I just don't understand how the police department can function when like Denzel's the only person who can get anything done and then put him yeah. in prison. Yeah. Like, there's not a single other person, single other detective you can put on this on put on this case, dude. Yeah, but I mean, I I like the characters that you know. I like the main characters. I think they did a good job. Acting um, is really. I, I did think the acting was really good. Russell Crowe does play an, an evil, an evil mofo dude. Like, like you, you do really get the feeling that like he's not just this robot death machine. Like, I feel like he does have a good amount of personality to him, and I felt like Sid was a character which could have gone the other way. You know, he could have been like a, a Terminator Two, where it's just the guy who is just straight faced and barely says anything. But instead, yeah. Russell Crowe definitely hams it up. That's what I wanted to say. This is the classic hammy '90s movie. I this probably might be one of the top hammy 90 movies I've ever seen, dude. They are swimming yeah. in the ham, swimming and, in it. And watching um, a movie like nowadays with like uh, the uh, CGI effects that they have now, it's very difficult, uh, especially the younger you get to compare it to the older ones because it looks so bad. But uh, when this movie was released, those uh, CGI effects were incredibly top of the line. Um, and I kind of agree because there are some movies from the, like the 2000s that have worse <laughs> CGI than this movie. And I especially like when Russell Crowe's like personalities would fight on his face. Like I thought that looked incredible. Yeah, it, um, did, it did look really good, actually. Yeah, yeah. That was a great effect that I think still stood up. Um, you know, the worst looking thing is probably when the nanobots were getting stuff. But again, you compare that to a lot of movies in the early 2000s or you know even the late it's like they've got like uh what was that mummy oh yeah 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 <laughs> Ter- terrible cgi that movie came out later i hope I it, did. It, it did it definitely did i think it did i think it did Oh, sorry. As you as you just mentioned that thing about Russell Crowe's face, it would have been a lot more interesting if they really delved into the changing character and changing battle within him, having all those personalities within him. Because when they first find out that um, he's a reconstruction of all these serial killers and terrible people, she says there's a battle going on inside him like nobody's business. But they really kind of push the Matthew Grimes thing to the top to give Denzel all that motivation. I feel like it would have been cool if they kind of used Sid. 6.7 as being this really um kind of bipolar a ton of personalities type character where like one second he's acting like one person the other second he's acting like another person and he's totally unpredictable instead even though russell Crowe does a great job at it he plays a single character like sid has his own personality it doesn't feel like the personality of a ton of different people yeah, I'd rather have that happen to the character than happen to the other characters of the movie on accident. Um, facts, big facts, big facts, yeah, big facts. So yeah, just it, it really kind of those plot holes really just kind of bring out that confliction. But I think you know we've said a lot about this movie, and to wrap things up with virtuosity, it's a sci-fi action movie that I think was more targeted towards a younger adult audience that didn't become popular in part because. The rating, I think, conflicted with people that would have enjoyed it more than were allowed to see it. And also because it wasn't wholehearted in its execution of establishing that future aesthetic. I think that's the key right there. The It was not wholehearted in that execution. And I think that is a major factor in everything we've talked about for this episode. It really is. That That's honestly the make or break for movies because we love to bring that up. And I think it's the most noticeable thing 
of why you don't like a movie because it didn't take that leap of faith to dive into it because sometimes it's absurd it's like zardos is so good because it takes the full leap the full leap may not be a leap you like but thank god they took it or else it'd be even worse uh and specifically its use of nanotechnology and vr have a lasting effect on the media that would come out in the future and it makes it an important film historically but the inability to cohesively integrate it with the background culture and the redemption plot line prevent the movie from being one of the greats. It's definitely noteworthy that Denzel had a heavy hand in eliminating the unnecessary romance because it just would have been another plot line to conflate into the lackluster redemption one. An entertaining, culturally important movie for sure that's lost to time, but the reasons why sort of seem to make sense. So, you know, as as you were saying that, I just kind of had a, a new idea for for the show a little bit, man. Maybe maybe at the end of all the all these episodes, we we deem the movie as should it be lost in the sands of time or should we pull it from the trenches to show people? And I think I think this one, unfortunately, can kind of chill in the sands of time. I don't think it's too important for anyone to really like stop what they're doing tonight and watch for its virtuosity. It belongs in a museum. <laughs> belongs in a museum. <laughs> I mean, that's my point because it really is like you. We should give props to the nanotechnology thing because that's a bold move to make, and I wish it would have made. A, I wish they would have made a bolder one because you see how much it affected culture in the future. It becomes incredibly important, and even this movie has some like Matrixy vibes, you know, with all the VR stuff. The, the guy Leonard, he loved. VR stuff. Um, we might even have to do a, uh, a lawnmower man special, Luke. Oh, Ooh. you know, I think we are doing a lawnmower <laughs> man special. It's, it's decided. Like, uh, what? It's called lawnmower man, bro. Come on. <laughs> and <laughs> I will. I will warn people because we looked into it a little bit. It, it's it's about a guy that is like. We'll get into the movie once we do the special, but Google it and you'll know what I'm talking about because we don't want to offend anybody. But I think that wraps everything up for tonight. So thank you for joining us tonight. Message us at Midnight Showing Podcast on Instagram or email Midnight Showing with Luke and Nash at gmail.com to stay in the loop for upcoming episodes and offer suggestions for the movies we watch and future content we can bring to you. Uh, be sure to check us out at ambiguouspodcastsolutions.com. Uh, next week's episode features Band of the Hand, directed by Paul Michael Glazier. And remember, your donations keep the blue lights on. Do you think it's important for a first baseman to be left-handed? <laughs> I don't get it. I hate you. I hate you. So I forgot we did that. I, I forgot we did that. I was like, what's he saying now? 